0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the STEM Sessions Podcast, the UK STEM careers podcast. My name is Natalie Chung. Today, I'm delighted to be interviewing STEM Ambassador Abdul Mohammed. Abdul, please introduce yourself.
1: Hi, I'm Abdul Mohammed. I have worked for four and a half years as a civil engineer in the rail team at a consultancy called ACOM.
0: Amazing. So, what is a civil engineer?
1: Um, So, a civil engineer is an incredibly broad description for a complete range of um, people. So the civil engineering sector effectively is sort of the built environment. So anywhere you live or you travel, so and things that you might not even realize that you're using all the time. So it can range from buildings to infrastructure, such as transportation, highways, bridges, um, water, energy. And it's sort of building and maintaining that is a very brief overview to what civil engineering is.
0: Amazing. So there's so many different sectors in civil engineering, and you mentioned that you work in rail. What does that involve?
1: So my work in rail involves the designing, planning, and maintaining of railways. So designing and planning new railways or extensions to current railways. And we also do a lot of maintenance of the existing network. So the rail infrastructure in the UK is relatively old a lot of it was installed in the victorian times and we're still using that infrastructure today with several upgrades the issue is it's hard to consistently upgrade the entire network especially a network that wasn't designed for the amount of people who currently use it today and going forward the amount of people who then also use it oh you're
0: really good at this <laughs> that was a great description how did you get to where you are now in your career
1: So when I was about 16 deciding my A-levels, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I I was good at maths, I was good at science. So I ended up doing maths, further maths, chemistry, physics, and then an economics AS. I dropped economics pretty quickly. And even well into my end of AS level was when you have to start thinking about UCAS stuff. Still had no idea what I wanted to do. My older brother and my dad both did engineering. I didn't do civil engineering and i kind of worked out i quite like project work i quite like the idea of designing things i kind of did a bit of research and landed in civil engineering and i did a degree at the university of surrey following that i had no idea what i wanted to do going into the professional world so initially i thought i wanted to do contracting i quite liked the idea of being outside and like physically building stuff I don't that's not exactly what you do when you do contracting later on, but there were sort of barriers to that. Mainly that I didn't have a driving license, which is something contractors are for, and then decided I didn't actually want to do that. I still don't have a driving license, but that's another story. So yeah, I did a module in highways and transportation in my third year. And I just really enjoyed that. So that's how I sort of that's how I ended up going into rail. And I'm still there today.
0: Could you tell us more about your day-to-day?
1: This is always a great question because it sounds cliche to say that there is just so many different things happen in a day and it really depends on what project you're doing. So you'll effectively have a project brief and you'll take however long in the program you've been given to do that. So if, for example, you're doing an option study, which is something we do quite a lot of at ACOM, so you're doing an option study for let's say, a new station entrance, TFL, who may be one of our clients, want to expand the station entrance because there's now more people using it. We'll have a program of what we're supposed to do and get them there. So it will be evaluating the options we're given. We will then sort of work those out. So we put them into CADs. We'd come up with sort of photorealistic images of what they would look like. We'd also do the calculations to check what, as in how they'd be built and what sort of materials, etc. cetera, need to go into them. And then we'll present them to the client and then they'll choose based on a number of factors, whether it's cost, the feasibility of actually doing it, how long it will take, et cetera. And that's just a typical example of the project. So that will involve a lot of the time checking drawings, going through calculations, um, rising with different stakeholders and things like that.
0: You use some abbreviations there for our listeners who don't know what they are. Could you say what TFL is and what CAD is?
1: Okay, um, I'll start with TFL. TFL is Transport for London. So they operate several different transport networks in London. So the underground, some of the, a lot of the bus network in London, they have to the guys with network rail who do a lot of the overground trains. There is also the London overground trams, etc. So as well as all the highways as well with local councils, TFL will manage those. CAD is computer-aided design. So engineers, a lot of the time, we will sketch up designs on paper or we'll make rough drafts of them we'll then give them to CAD technicians who will put them into computer software and it will make it look a lot nicer than we can with our sketches.
0: Definitely goes to the CAD technicians and not the newest graduate.
1: (laughs) Yeah (laughs) depending on where you work yeah.
0: So you mentioned that one of your projects could be um, expanding a station entrance and that's such an important job especially as transport infrastructure in london is getting busier and busier so it is something that has a real impact on day-to-day lives for a lot of people who commute using the transport infrastructure could you describe some other types of projects that people in your role could work on
1: okay so a project that i have recently worked on is hst which um hst is, is actually short for high speed tea, and it's a new sort of north-south transport network which starts in London it goes up to Birmingham where it then branches to Leeds and Manchester so all of this is new railway so it's quite different from a lot of things you do day to day which is improving existing stations so this is going from right at the start somebody will literally draw a line between the places and then you sort of go from there and go actually we can't put a rail route here and then come up with several options these then get sort of workshopped we then have a preferred route which for phase one went through the government about six or seven years ago for phase two which is from birmingham to manchester and then birmingham up to leeds went through the government about 2017 and since 2017 At various stages, I've worked on developing that so it can then be given to main works contractor who will then go and build it. And it also goes through a phase in government called the hybrid bill. So it's basically where the government will then purchase the land they can build HS2 on. Some of the work I've done has involved helping the design of a station in the East Midlands and then working on route refinements to try and get the correct route while sort of causing as little impact to the communities they pass through in the East Midlands.
0: For such a big project, there are lots of different stages, and I could tell that you were trying to remember the order of all of them. A lot of people would be surprised to hear that the railways industry involves a lot of jobs, not just for train drivers and not just people wearing orange hives vis on the side of the track. What sorts of people do you work on um, these projects with?
1: So HST is a good example of a project that almost every engineering discipline and even people who have very little engineering background actually work on. So we as rail well engineers take the sort of lead on it, but there's no way we could carry out the project without structural engineers who have to design our bridges and stations. We have architects as well who will do that. Um as big a team as engineers we have, we have a similar sized team of environmentalists so they will work on the sustainability aspects and we're following the correct protocols that the UK requires in its law to build things. We also have to work with highways engineers because we're going through of roads, drainage engineers, geotechnical engineers. We also work with people who do lots of geography work in terms of mapping things out so we work with GIS consultants. GIS stands for geographical information systems so This is where we have people who put all of our designs into online maps so we can easily sort of map out relative to the existing areas, what we're doing. And that's an example on a large scale project, even on smaller scale projects, we still need architects and environmental teams and people who work on the mechanical aspects in terms of plumbing in buildings and railway stations and people who work on telecoms. all the signalling systems for the railway so how you know how far away your train is we need people to work with those and where our system interfaces with theirs so yeah it's a lot of people it's not just railway engineers
0: yes there is a lot of roles and you mentioned which I want to highlight that if you want to work on railway projects you don't necessarily have to have an engineering background
1: No, not at all. There's so many different people, especially in terms of the system side, a lot of it may be more coming from a tech side than civil engineering background. Because whilst you work in a railway environment, what you're working on is not necessarily the sort of physical aspect of the trains interacting with the tracks. It's more how people use the train system, for example, and giving people the correct information they need whilst they're In the railway environment so if that's just using the station using the train etc
0: when you're working on a project with lots of different people i suppose there's certain skills that you will need what sorts of skills would someone need to get into a role like yours
1: in terms of skills you need i would say communication is really important the amount of time we sort of spend and it's something that anybody at any level could probably improve on talking about things is so important because it just helps things go so much more efficiently. A lot of the aspects of the role I had on when I was working on HS2 would be engineering coordination. So it would be making sure all the right people had all the right information they needed to carry out whatever design they needed to make. So communication is definitely good. Presentation, especially within your organization and outside it. Often in engineering, we have to talk to our clients because dead people who give us the brief as to what we're supposed to do and we need to report back to them what we're doing. Being able to do that is really important and it's something that takes practice. Nobody is instantly great at it. People may be more confident in talking to new people especially when those people are deciding whether what you've done is sort of to what they've asked you to do. Also I think just general people skills and being able to read the people you're working with because In my position, for example, you have to work with people who are A, more senior than you, people at the same level, people more junior than you, and there's slightly subtle different ways of communicating with people. So, again, it kind of goes back to communication, as we were talking about earlier.
0: People might be surprised to hear that you say communication, presentation skills, and sort of emotional intelligence are the most important skills that you need for your role, rather than sort of maths ability, Would you say that's accurate?
1: i say it goes hand in hand. I mean, you obviously still need to have a level of technical ability. But I think what people almost misconstrue about when you go into the engineering industry or any industry is that you just be left alone. So it's not you don't turn up on your first day. It's like, right, here's your degree. Design me this bridge. I mean, people are always there to help you. So the technical ability... You should be you're going to learn so much more on your job that the basis you have from university should be there. And it's not even just university. Um, Loads of people come into the industry through other ways in terms of apprenticeships and just working on the job in general and then doing qualifications whilst working. So you're going to learn a lot of technical skills on the job. You just won't know it. But the people skills are the things you can learn before.
0: How did you find the application process when you were applying for graduate civil engineering roles?
1: It's pretty interesting. You end up writing several answers and it's almost like you do a quiz on yourself before you actually have to answer somebody else's questions because a lot of questions you get, especially on online applications, are general competency questions. So explain the time when you've shown the leadership, explain the time when you've overcome a challenge. And especially if you're at university or even if you've just been to a college or sixth form or whatever, it can be quite difficult to think of a relevant example. And you never really know what somebody is looking for. So that was quite challenging. But I think any advice would be to just sort of make sure you do your research both on the company, the role and yourself actually because people are going to ask you questions and you kind of need to have an answer at least have a thought process of how you're going to answer that.
0: What's a common myth about your industry that you would like to bust?
1: It's strange Uh, I think you get especially maybe civil engineers especially you get two quite opposite misconceptions one that it's quite hyper masculine on site and the other that it's quite nerdy in a design office, and I wouldn't say that there's a wholly untrue, and the answer is somewhere in the middle. Really, I don't. It's nowhere near as sort of a manual labour or hyper on site as you would imagine. A lot of it is you generally have um, subcontractors who do what you view as like the literal building work of any project a lot of the work civil engineers do on site is more in a management and a supervisory role. And then in, in a design office, it's actually quite a diverse range of people there. So sure, you do have people who I wouldn't call them nerdy. There are people who are just very good at a job and very focused on it. But for the most part, everybody is there for a reason Everybody does their job, but there's also quite a lot of social activities, especially in relatively large consultancies, such as Acom, who I work for. We have a sports and social club, and it's a pretty active club with lots of opportunities to socialize. And it's not just the graduates and younger engineers. A lot of the time, depending on the activities, you'll have um, a lot more of the senior staff as well get involved. So there's quite a lot of team camaraderie within engineering.
0: I've definitely had that experience as well. So for the listeners, my background is actually in civil engineering, also within rail. And I found that when I told people I was a civil engineer, I would sort of get one of two answers. So there's one group who think you have to be an absolute brain box, Einstein, super good at maths in order to become an engineer. And there's another side who have a misconception about what my role entails and assumed that I was doing manual labour on construction sites, which is also a very important and skilled job. Um, but my role um, sort of doesn't fit into either of those boxes. So yeah we hear a lot of (laughs) stereotypes about the kind of roles within railways and construction in particular and we're really proud that our STEM ambassadors are out there busting these myths for young people. Could you give us some examples of things that you've done as a STEM ambassador?
1: So a few weeks ago I went to Durwich College and there was a networking event for year Twelves where I had Some pretty similar questions to these, actually. So it was just I would submit a bio to the college, which um, students would read beforehand. And then I had a variety of questions, some far easier than others, which I always find quite interesting because people who have no to little idea of the industry tend to ask some more challenging questions that you just wouldn't think of, or you wouldn't think of an answer to because people in the industry wouldn't necessarily ask you those questions so things like what your day-to-day is how interesting do you find your job or what's your most um what's your achievement that you're most proud of it's something that i haven't had to think about really and then when you're put on the spot you're like, what is my biggest achievement i've been working for about four and a half years and i really struggled to answer that question it's something that i had to go away and think about afterwards so that was quite a fun experience
0: Yeah, we definitely think that um, STEM ambassadors can benefit from being put out of their comfort zone and trying different communication skills because presenting to a group of teenagers is very different to presenting in a workplace environment. Is there anything else about your career path or what you do day to day that you feel like we haven't covered?
1: In terms of, I think, becoming a STEM ambassador, a lot of my motivation to doing it was I feel that I was always really lucky that I just happened to fall into a career that I enjoy For the most part, I mean, I think any career will be challenging and you won't sort of skipping through it every day. But I had no idea how I wanted to do civil engineering. And I just feel that it's quite important to go into schools. I mean, year 12 before you go to university is one time to do it. But even younger, these kids have no idea about careers they can potentially do. And part of me is kind of like, There's a level of innocence that they don't need to know that, but it's also important to position yourself to at least have an idea of what's out there and get rid of these stereotypes as early as possible. And even just people from a wide variety of career paths or research and academic paths, et cetera, talking to people just to give somebody an idea, I didn't know what a career in civil engineering was maybe until I was literally in one. And I think it's just important that, as many people know, not just civil engineering, but any STEM career or even outside of STEM, any careers. I think it's just nice for people to know at a young age.
0: We're really proud of our STEM ambassadors who volunteer to sort of inspire the next generation of scientists, technicians, engineers, etc., Thank you so much Abdul for joining us on this episode of STEM sessions we really appreciate you sharing your story and also your role as a civil engineer at ACOM we've discussed lots of interesting things but around the railways industry and the challenges that you face getting to where you are now I think it's something that our listeners will really appreciate so thank you so much
1: you're more than welcome